Good morning, Heartland Church of Christ. Good morning. Um, thank you for coming. If you're visiting us, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting as far as with family and friends, we know, we know how that is. We have been discussing in this Bible class, we've been looking at simply one question. And the question is, what do you do when there is nothing you can do? What do you do when you're in a meantime moment? What does it mean to be in a meantime moment? What are the three qualities that are, or three components of a meantime moment? Have to make a decision. Remember the three components of a meantime moment. It's a new normal, right? Something new. Something that has happened that has changed the whole landscape. How do you feel about it? I don't like it. How long is it going to last? It feels like, and it may be, it's not going to change anytime soon. Sometimes years, sometimes even longer. It's so funny because after I taught this class in, in uh, OP... One of the guys, one of the wives came and my husband is using your whole thing now. I said, what do you mean? She goes, he was in a situation. He says, I'm having a meantime moment. It's a new norm. I don't like it. And it better change soon. Right. But what makes this so frustrating is pretty much this right here. It's not going to change anytime soon. As a matter of fact, if you try to fix it, it usually makes things what? worse, which is our normal thing. And the tendency is, if it's going to be like this, we kind of use our get-out-of-jail-free card in the sense of, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to deal with it. I'm out. And that makes it also worse. And that's really hard for some people to get because... The reality is that if we begin to learn the process of managing or learning to deal with this meantime moment, in the long run, we're so much happier that we've done so than if we just exited and quit. I was at a funeral one time, and the wife shared her husband had passed away. And she was very honest. They were married 40-some years. And she shared about how after 20 years, she was ready just to get out. She just didn't want any more to do with the relationship, with all the problems and the situations. And she said she just heard this voice from God saying, if you would stick it out, it is better in the long run. And she said, okay. And she stuck it out. And she got up. She said, I now can say it's better in the long run as she looked at all of her great-grandkids, as she looked over the, the family that was there and said God kept his promise. But we so much are a society that we want instant gratification, right? You thought it was bad with the, we called it, remember the TV, uh, the, um, TV dinner generation? You know, we wanted it fast and instant. This generation wants it super fast and super instant. And they don't want to invest in what will create something very long term. Does that make sense? 
So you may be going through a meantime moment yourself right now, and if not, you may in the future, or you may know somebody that's going through it. And so what we're doing is we're preparing a class, we're talking about a way that we could begin the process of managing it. And the first step of the process is to realize what? What's the first step of the process? Before that. God is not what? Absent, anger, apathetic with me. Isn't that the first step, really? I got to know, because even if it's your fault, you think what? Well, this is happening because God hates me. This is happening because God is not happy with me. This is happening because God is, you know, He just really doesn't even care. And we looked at the story of, of John the Baptist, remember? And how Jesus loved John the Baptist, but he was going through a meantime moment. And when we are going through our meantime moment, the beginning process of learning to manage it is to accept the truth. And the truth is God is not angry, apathetic, or absent. Because God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son. He didn't say God only loves the good people. God so loved the world And so, I've always said, if Jesus died for you, that means He is what? He's for you. I don't feel that way. It's not a feeling. It's a promise. Okay. I'll I'll start working on that. I'll start realizing and, and seeing that. But it's hard. Accepting the love of Christ is hard. Deep down. Anybody remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And he came to Peter. What was Peter's response? No, you will not wash my feet. And our Lord said something which was really fascinating. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't let me love you, then you will have what? You'll have no part of me. And of course, Peter, being you know, sticking his foot in his mouth, wash my whole body. You know? <laughs> Jesus, that's not the point. But the point for us is if we don't fully let God's love penetrate us, we're not going to enjoy it. Okay? So part of the challenge of faith and dealing with our meantime moment is that to realize God is not absent, apathetic, or angry. He loves me. Now, if you ever read the story of Job, you go, God, don't love me that much, please. Right? But see, this is the beginning process. Any questions about phase one? We talked about that several weeks ago. Yes. And we're going to talk about that today. Is there a difference between punishment and discipline? God doesn't discipline the kind of the way we do out of anger. He does it for our own good. And we're going to look at that this morning. But yes, we do see places, especially in the Old Testament, where God wipes out a whole nation, right? And say, see, 
But every nation that God wiped out, He wiped them out because of how bad they've gotten. He never wiped out a nation that says, you know, you're so nice and good and loving and kind, I'm just going to wipe you out. He always wiped out a nation that was so cruel that he literally had to step in and do something about it. Right? And I always like the analogy, it's like the fox or the wolf that grabs a sheep sheep and starts running away and the shepherd hits the wolf on the head and the wolf goes, hey, what did you do that for? I wasn't doing anything. And the sheep's running away going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so when God punished the nation, the people that was, the nation was brutalizing was like going doing what? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we saw that in our own within the last hundred years, right, with Nazi Germany. Okay? God used nations to help out. So that's a good question, and we're going to get more in-depth of that today. Day two. This meantime moment can be a gift with a purpose and a promise. And that's a challenge. But that's people who have gone through their meantime moments, they begin to see, all right, God, there's something behind this. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know there's a purpose and a promise. And the promise is what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the promise. Right? And so we begin to see, all right, God, I can see where I really need to accept your grace and your love as I'm managing this situation, even if it is my fault in that regard. And we talked about embracing your inability is the prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. You have to accept your own weaknesses in handling the situation and realize God's grace covers your weaknesses. Yeah, but if you really knew my witness, God's grace covers your weaknesses. That there is a promise. And the promise by God is, I'm going to help you and I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself and I'm going to help you in this situation. Because ultimately, He has helped us, right? By dealing with our curse. And so that is the second part of it. Okay, I'm going to start looking at this meantime moment that there is a purpose and a promise. The promise is that God's grace is sufficient. The purpose is unknown. And this is where a lot of people start realizing, yeah, but wait a minute. What purpose is there for this bad situation that I'm dealing with? A child dies, a husband dies, a spouse dies, somebody dies. What, what possible purpose? And a lot of times we start debating in our head, all right, was this God's will? Did God cause it? Did, you know, did He permit it? And we start struggling with that. And what I want to say today is that's a natural struggle. We all go through that. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today. As a matter of fact, we're not the only ones that goes through that struggle. Look if you went in John chapter 9. We looked at this several weeks ago, but I want to go back to it. John chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1. 
As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Which proved to me that they were Catholic at the time. Because we've all been there. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. What did the disciples want to know? Who's to what? Who's to blame? When we are in our meantime moment, we want to know whose fault is it? Okay? And that's natural. Now, we know some things is not God's will. Definitely, straightforward, not God's will. Give me some examples that we know is not God's will. What? Hitler or murder. Somebody, you know, taking life in their own hand. God says, I didn't want that to happen. Right? We looked at King David and um, Bathsheba's husband. God didn't want that to happen. There are things that happen. God doesn't want us to mistreat the poor. God doesn't want us to mistreat the, the um, widows and the orphans. Because if we do, God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to deal with you. There are things that we know God... And I was asked that question when I first, when I was a youth minister many, many, many years ago. When somebody came up to me and said, If a drunk driver killed your wife, would you still love God? And I thought, Wow, you're 15? That's pretty... Pretty deep. And I said, yes, because I know God didn't want that person to drink and drive. It's called free will. Yeah, but if he, he could have stopped it. If he permitted it, but he, did he, he didn't cause it, but he permitted it. And we start struggling with that whole question, right? And so Jesus says, do not play the blame game. Don't do it. Don't go down that road because it really doesn't solve anything. Yeah, but it feels so good if I know it's all their fault. The whole story of Job. Job, you had to have done something wrong for these things to happen to you. And Job says, I didn't do anything. And God came later and said, Job's right. He didn't do anything. And that gives us to the point that because why why should we not play the blame? Why does God say don't play the blame game? Psychological, yeah, you become trapped in your own anger and hatred. Why else do you think God says don't play the blame game? Sometimes it's, the blame is an excuse for why I'm going to do something I shouldn't be doing. For example, well, if he or she did that, then I can do this. If it's mainly their fault. Which it may be a high percent their fault. But the reality is, we are limited in our knowledge and our ability. Right? We don't know everything. Therefore... It's hard for us to be in a position where we're saying, where we're, we're, quote, judged. Now, 
I could still say, yes, this is their responsibility. This was their fault. I may have contributed. There's some things that I never contribute, such as child abuse and neglect. And a child says, your parents go, it was your fault when you were a child. Like, no, you can't go down that road. You can't do that. But because we are limited in our knowledge and our abilities, and I think I shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again. Max Lucado tells the story of a parable when he was a missionary in South America. And he shares about this farmer that had this beautiful horse. And the neighbor comes over and says, I want to buy your beautiful horse. And the, neighbor, and the guy, farmer goes, no, I'm not selling. I like my horse. So I'm going to keep my horse. And a couple of days later, the horse broke out of the, the stable and left. And the neighbor came up and says, aha, God is angry at you for not selling me your horse. He says, I don't know whether God's angry at me or not. All I know is I had a horse, and now I don't have a horse. That's all I know. Well, about a week later, the horse comes back with 20 other horses. And he says, oh, God has blessed your life. And he says, I don't know if God blessed my life. All I know is I had one horse, and then I didn't have a horse, and now I got 20. That's all I know. And now I've got to feed them all. Well, the young son, his youngest son, decides he's going to, you know, break these horses in. He's breaking one of the horses in. Fell off the horse, broke his leg. Neighbor says, aha! God is angry at you because you did not sell me that horse. He says, I don't know whether God is angry at me or not. All I know is I had a horse. Then I didn't have a horse. Then I have 20 horses. Now i got a 20 horses with a broken son's leg. That's it. That's all I know. And then a couple months later, the village, that village went to war against another village and all the young men died except for his son. And the neighbor goes, God loves you more than us. He says, I, I don't know. I'm limited in my knowledge. And one of the reasons we don't play the blame game is because we don't know all the variables involved. We look at the situation, we go, well, the reason he's homeless is this, that we don't know. We don't know all the variables. Therefore, we don't blame anyone. We don't blame anyone for our situation. Yes, we do acknowledge if somebody did something wrong and we want them to admit it and we have to deal with it and we have to deal with the consequences, we get all that. But we can't just sit there and want to play the blame game because it doesn't solve anything. It just allows us to stew and feel sorry for ourselves, and it makes it almost impossible to be loving and kind. Yes. It also makes it impossible to give. You know, I was fascinated with the fact that Jesus could have said, well, you know, the dad had an affair, and so God was punishing the dad for making the child blind. And you'd be like, what? Meaning, Jesus could have used other examples, but he says that's not the point. The point is what? What's the point when you are going through a meantime moment instead of blaming? What's the focus Jesus wants you to focus on? For us to learn something? Okay. How God can be glorified. In this situation. And I'm like, wow. I still think it's funny. The guy's sitting there blind and the apostles are going, whose fault is it? 
And the guy goes, dude, I'm not deaf. I can hear you. I'm sitting right here. Like you ever been in a grocery store line and your kid's sitting, Mommy, why does that guy have a huge earring like this? And his ears all bend down and say, you're like, shh, sorry. And I'm sure Jesus had to go, sorry, they're still young. I'm still working on it. You know? But I just, God wants us to say, look, focus on, and I, I like this saying, I think I wrote it down as far as on the slide. That when we play the blame game, this life becomes a problem to solve rather than an opportunity to see God in the midst of suffering. When we try to fix it, when we try to figure it out, when we try to figure out all the variables, we're more concerned about solving a problem rather than an opportunity to see God in the midst of the suffering. And when you start starting to think and we started to see We can't see how God has already been working in this situation or what he has done because we're so focused on just the suffering aspect of it. Does that make sense? So it is a challenge in that regard. Jesus says, I'm more concerned about something different than just the blame game. But that the work of God might be displayed in the meantime moments. Now, one of the challenges we get into is suffering as punishment or discipline, right? Which is it? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, again, there's certain things that happen that God says, I did not want that to happen. Yes, I could have stopped it, but for some reason I didn't. It permitted it, but I didn't cause it. But in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, we read, In your struggle against him, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the words of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes anyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline? Then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respect them for it. How much more shall we submit to the Father of our spirit and live? Our Father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Even if God didn't cause it, a terrible, terrible tragedy. The suffering that I'm going through, I don't have to look at it as a punishment. I could say, you know what, this is a part of a fallen world, and God's going to do something 
good out of a bad situation. I'm not going to try to blame anybody, but I'm going to realize that hardship is just a part of this life. And let that struggle in that hardship produce in me something that will glorify God. Man, that's hard. Yep, it is hard. Isn't that what he's saying? No discipline seemed pleasant at the time. Everything you're learning here in this life is preparing you for heaven. So when in heaven you have free will, you will go, I'm not going to be mean and cruel because I've been there, done that. I'm not going to be mean to anybody because I've been there, done that. I've been mean, people have been mean to me. I'm in heaven now, and now on my own free will, I'm going to just be nice. Kind, considerate, thoughtful, respectful. And you're like, what world are you talking about? Not this world. Right? Because of the hardships that we've been through. Don't play the blame game. Because the blame game does not lead to the opportunity to glorify God. Any thoughts or comments? Right. Do you ever heard somebody go, well, other people have it worse? That really doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> but when we say other people have it better, now I'm more mad at God. Why can't I have that? Why can't I be in this situation? Exactly. We talked about we are limited in our wisdom and knowledge. And when we focus on what is wrong, we miss out on what God makes right. When we focus on what is wrong... We miss out when God has, is, and has, is making right. You know? Hear the same thing. Well, what if you died in a plane crash? You know, what if I, I'm flying to Phoenix? What if you, you, there's traffic and, you know, you weren't as nice to your son as you should have been or a nice, you know, in this situation and now God's punishing you, quote unquote, and you're going to die in a plane crash. First of all, it's not punishment. It's discipline. And second of all, I get to go to heaven. He's already taking care of the big stuff. So God, when I focus on just the suffering, then I miss out on all that God has done and is doing in the present moment. And that's, that's part of the challenge in that regard. Any other thoughts or comments? Yes. That is an excellent point because who, when we respond to our meantime moment, 
in a way, all right, God, I don't know how this is going to glorify you, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to glorify you in this situation. People are watching. And they go, Mom, Dad, I saw how you dealt with that divorce. And I'm so proud of you. I saw how you dealt with that illness. And I'm so proud of you. I saw how you dealt with getting fired. And it wasn't your fault. Or how you, you really messed up and you took responsibility and you gave it to God and you prayed about it and you kept moving forward. And I thought, wow, kids are watching. Other church people are watching. They're gossiping too, but they're also watching. Okay? They're watching. Other people are watching and they see you turning the situation over to God and said, look, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know if it's your fault. You caused it. I'm limited in my knowledge and abilities, but I'm going to do what you want me to do and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to work with it with you by my side that you have not abandoned me, rejected me, that you still love me. And I'm not going to look at it as punishment. I'm going to look at it as just part of life's discipline. And people, and you're going to start glorifying God in that situation, and then other people are going to look at you and go, wow, that's impressive. You know what I'm talking about? Because you know those individuals, right? You know those individuals that did it and managed it the right way. They could have took vengeance, and they didn't. They could have gotten even, and they didn't. They could have used it as an excuse to turn to drugs or sex or alcohol. And they could have used it and all. They could have just turned away from God. But they didn't. Even though they didn't completely understand it. And they just turned it over their meantime moment to God. And now you begin seeing, wow, God has gotten glorified in your situation. Does that make sense? Let me look at one more scripture that a lot of people don't look at. It's one of the less scriptures that people look at. Look at 1 Corinthians 5. I find this very fascinating. And I'm going to be straightforward honest. I don't understand everything about this verse, but I just found it interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's talking about the immoral brother in verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature or the flesh may be destroyed and the spirit saved by the day of the Lord. And I was like, what? And I thought, I don't know exactly everything this means, but it does show me that sometimes this God uses discipline to help us change our mind about the sinful nature or living by the sinful nature. And even though it may be my fault, that God still saves my soul. Does that make sense? Because we used to think, and we do all the time, well, three strikes and you're out, man. You're done. Forget it. You're out. No. We're supposed to give set, forgive 70 times 7. Yeah, but is there a limit? Not to God's love. But there's a limit to the point where somebody will not enjoy God's love if they're not turning to him. But this just shows that God is still. It's like, all right, you you want to go along with Satan? Go on ahead. He's going to chew you up and spit you out. And hopefully you'll come back to your senses and come back to me, which is what the prayer is here, isn't it? 
And I'm saying this because I know there's some of us that are really struggling with some deep stuff. God still loves us, cares about us, is for us. If we don't deal with it, we suffer the natural consequences of it. But he still wants to help us even in our most darkest times. Does that make sense? And it's like, wow, that's, that's deep love. That is, that is a love I've never experienced in this life. Exactly. You won't experience it in this life. You will experience through Him. As you seek Him to understand what He's done for us in all those ways. Is it easy? No. Am I saying just let people walk all over you? No. But I am saying it's a, it's, it's a bigger challenge than we ever realize as far as learning to not play the blame game, to just move forward in that regard. What does it mean to have hindsight 2020? What does it mean to have hindsight 2020? Hindsight. Or you look back and go, I didn't know how you were supposed to work, God, but look. Look what you did. We're always doing that, right? And God always says, remember when the last time you were struggling and you thought, I didn't care and all that. Remember how I got you through this or helped you out. And remember, hindsight is 2020. And that's kind of the, we don't, we're in the play. We have to look back and go, you know, I was gotten with a bunch of guys. We got together for lunch yesterday and we all talked about how amazing it is that we survived our childhood. Right? Only by the grace of God. With the toys we played with, these long lawn, lawn dots, darts, you know, these nails, you know, this big. And the only Nerf thing I had was a Nerf football, so I'd freeze it so that it would really have a better impact on people. <laughs> My favorite one is, you ever met smoke bombs? You know, these smoke bombs? We light them everywhere, and I was throwing them in elevators. I said, wouldn't it be cool if I was in the elevator when I lit it? And we, there was 23 floors. I'm on the first floor. My friend and I, we light it. And we're laughing. Look at this. Smoke. <laughs> I literally fell backwards, hit seven. We're on our knees. And the door opens in seventh floor. And we literally crawl out marine style. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm still alive. And maybe some of you have some of those stories. Only by the grace of God. And we look back. And we have 20, 20 high. Oh, that's. How you could use that. I didn't think you could, I didn't think I could ever be, I didn't. But at some point we decided I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm just going to move forward in that regard. We want God to fight our battles, right? We want Him to be by our side fighting our battles. I think it's interesting, this guy, the blind man in John 9, never asked to be healed. Nowhere do you see him where he says, Jesus, heal me. Jesus did it of his own accord. Right? There's a lot of times God is going to do some incredible stuff in our meantime moments. In time. If we allow him to. But we have to want him to do it. We have to want to continue to look to him and help us in our meantime moments. And I think it's it's just fascinating. The guy's like, hey, I didn't ask to be healed, but now that I am healed, this is amazing. Thank you. 
And a lot of times we'll see how God really makes a difference in our lives in that regard. But we want God to fight our battles for us. What does that mean to you for God to fight your battles, your meantime battles for you? How would you express that? Other than God, just take it away. And you get that, nope, I'm not taking it away. To acknowledge the fact I'm limited in my knowledge, but I know you know what's going on. And I'm going to trust you and see how you are or have already worked and are working and will bring to completion whatever it is that is going on. Very good. What else? What does it mean that when you say, I want God to fight, you want God to fight your battles in your meantime moment? That I won't take vengeance myself. That I'm going to leave it in God's hands. I love King David. God told him, you're going to be king. He had opportunity many times to kill Saul. He said, I'm not going to do that. That's not the kind of king I'm going to be. When God wants me to deal with and when God you know, rectifies the situation, I'm going to let God do it in his time, not mine. When Abraham was made a promise and goes, well, we're supposed to have a kid. I guess not. Uh, Sarah, why don't you have one of your concubines, you know, and then we'll have a child through him. And now there's still war going on centuries later because of that. Ishmael and Isaac. God's timing makes a difference. We want God to fix it now. Right? And now may not be the best time for it to be fixed. Or it may just take more time. Or more things, you know, have to be aligned as God is working. But for God to be there fighting my bowels, meaning I am not alone in this situation. That God is out front on my behalf. Does that make sense? Now, how do you know if God's out front fighting your battles? Faith? Okay. How do you know God's out front fighting your battles? What do you have to be doing? Trusting and following Him. Right? You have to be following Him for Him to be fighting your battles. There are a lot of people that are not following God. They're doing whatever they want to do and they want God to fight their battles. He says, you can't fight your battles because you're not following Him. If you are following Him, He can fight your battles. He wants to fight your battles. He wants to be out front fighting your battles. He's already taking care of the big stuff. But if you're not following Him, then He's not out front fighting your battles. And so I'm like, look, I'd rather be a, I'd rather be a, a follower of Jesus struggling with good and evil with him on my side versus being alone and fighting life on my own. Right? Or another way to say it is, what's worse, being a cripple and using crutches or being a cripple and refusing to use crutches? I admit I'm human. I admit I am limiting my powers, abilities, wisdom, everything else. I need God to be out front fighting my battles. But to, for, me, for him to be fighting my battles, I have to be following him, seeking him, praying to him, 
reading the God's Word, just doing the best I can, right? And that's just as important. So I'm not going to play the game, blame game, but I am going to follow Him as He is leading me down these roads. Any other thoughts or comments? Yes. Remember that? Footprints in the sand. I turned around and there were what? Two sets of footprints. And then later on as I walked out, I turned around and there was one set of footprints. And what did that represent? God was carrying me. And then I would add another one. This is my own thing. I'd add another one. God, I turned around there was this long, thick line in the back. What did that mean? Well, that's where I was dragging your butt, kicking and screaming down there. You know. Does he not do that? Does he not carry us? He, you know, he drags us, kicking and screaming. Until he finally says, I'm going to stop resisting and I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to seek his will. And I am here to tell you, everyone reaches a point in their life where they're, God, they're like, God, I want to follow, but I don't know how. And just telling them to come to church is not telling them how. But when they look at you going through your meantime moment and you come out like, how did you, with what you've been through, how are you still so nice? With what you've been through, how, how could you still care about that? With what you've been through, And it's like, let me share with you my story. Because there was a time God dragged me kicking and screaming. But yet I knew he still loved me. And now I can share my story. We need a place where people can share their story. Everyone here is a seeker of God. And there are thousands upon thousands of people in this community that are trying to seek God but don't know how? And they go, yeah, it's easy. Just read the Bible. Really? I start on Genesis. I can't even make it through numbers. And I'm like, I'm done. Right? I pray to God and I get a no and I don't know what to do with it. Can you teach people how to deal with the no when you get a no? Can you share your story? That's really what it's like. We're all in the same boat. Right? Except we know now what God has done for us in Christ. And so now we just share our story. Next week we're going to talk about the secret of commitment. You can't tell anybody because it is a secret. We're going to look at the secret of commitment. Because there is something really mystical and magical about when we learn what it means to be content in all situations. Uh, I'm not going to be able to stay for services. I have a flight that leaves at 12, so I'm going to be leaving immediately after class. I will be here next week. I get back. So be praying about my trip, uh, about what I will be learning and all the good stuff. And I appreciate the opportunity to share with you in class. Let's bow for a quick prayer. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, we... 
honor you and we thank you for the great love that you've shown for us through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we so much need your mercy and your grace and for your help during our meantime moments. Sometimes we don't understand that's because we're limited in our knowledge. Sometimes we're just angry because we've been hurt so much. Sometimes we just want to give up, but we know we have nowhere else to turn except to you. We know that in the midst of the struggles and the doubts and the hardships that you have not abandoned us, that you love us, that you've already dealt with the major stuff for us. Now you're just asking us to learn how to manage and survive in this life as we would in heaven. We look forward to a day where there's no more pain and no more suffering, where there's no more blaming ourselves or blaming other people. We thank you for those in this audience that have helped us in our meantime moments, that shared their story with us. We know that other people are watching us to see, how are you going to deal with this situation? And we want to deal with it in a way that really glorifies you in the midst of the suffering. And so we ask to give us wisdom, strength, and hope as we follow you. Thank you for the times we had with family and friends. There's no guarantee for tomorrow, and so we want to cherish the moments that we have. Thank you for the hope of the salvation, the hope of the resurrection, and seeing you face to face. So as we celebrate this morning, we want to remember and look back and realize how you have been with us, and that you are out front fighting our battles because we are following you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And all this is possible because of your Son, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great week.